Greetings, everyone. Welcome back uh, to those of you who were on for the post-game show we did from the Rose Bowl. Thanks for being patient. Thanks for hanging with us. We did the Q&A earlier. Now we're back. Uh, Anthony Broom here with former Michigan defensive lineman Ryan Van Bergen, who was also at the Rose Bowl, part of the delays that we both had our fair share of, of issues getting back to where we are for the night. But uh, no one wants to hear from me. They heard me blabble for about 20 minutes earlier. So, Ryan, I'll just start with this. How awesome was that for you? Um, just take us through that whole experience. Well, I feel like I have six months of my life that I'll never get back because it's just how much stress I feel like I experienced there in the stands. But, I mean, what what an amazing team. What an amazing story. We didn't play our best football today. I think we can probably agree that offensively we didn't play our best. Special teams was everything but a disaster and for us to still be in the game, I kept telling my wife, uh, we were on our baby moon here, expecting number two uh, in June. And so we spent the weekend together and I'm looking at her and just kept saying, I don't know how we're this close. We shouldn't really even be in this game. Uh, you know, with some of the mishaps that we had, you know, we have a trick play, a flea flicker that takes us out of field goal range and we miss that field goal. We miss an extra point. You know, we have so many things that in a game versus Alabama and a game versus one of the best teams in the country, you make these mistakes, you lose the game. And everybody knows that. But uh, this team showed tremendous resilience uh, and consistency and just grit and heart. I mean, that was uh, that was not a beautiful football game, but the end result was absolutely beautiful. Uh, not a doubt in my mind. That's the best game I've ever witnessed, best game I've ever been a part of. Um, couldn't be more excited for, for this team and, and what they were able to persevere through to get this win. Well, let's start there. I mean, this was in, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, maybe Michigan's C game, maybe their B minus game. I don't know. That's in the eye of the beholder. Certainly not their best game. Uh, a lot of issues on special teams, which was uh, was tough to watch. Got to clean that up in the next week or so. But if coming into this game, given that it's it's Alabama, it's the Rose Bowl, it's the college football playoff, uh, coming into this game, if I had told you that. Michigan and Alabama are going to settle this in overtime. How do you feel about that potential outcome? And uh, how did you feel as overtime started? I loved that we started on offense and we're going towards the end zone that we just scored in. All the momentum is in our favor. You may not have been able to tell that by the television broadcast, but the way that it shook out, I, I felt really good about it. Our offense had been rolling. Uh, we felt had just had a drive to that same end zone with, with a lot of success. That was where all the Michigan fans were at. And the fact that our defense gets the opportunity to win us that football game. Uh, clearly, I got a biased lens. I'm always going to be a defensive guy. I'll die and go in the grave a defensive guy. So for our defense to get the opportunity to win that game for us, and not only that, but they tried, to, they tried us in the middle after all the timeouts and debacles and the fake injury, which is that's what it was. It was a fake injury. Number three was not hurt. I know that for a fact. Um, they wanted an extra timeout. But you couldn't have written it in a Hollywood script, you know, excuse the pun considering our location, but uh, for the defense to get that opportunity on fourth and three, and you know, Jalen Milrow is probably going to hold on to that football and to come up with that stop. I mean, they were defeated. I mean, he dove into a pile four yards back behind the goal line and uh, it, you couldn't write it any better. My bad. I'm muted. That's what happens when we go live and I press buttons. I'm not supposed to. Um, 
what I was saying is that how awesome is it that Michigan now, you know, you're in this national title game. There's one game left this year. Michigan football is playing in it. It's been Houston or bust. It's been Natty or bust. And now it's technically an all big 10 national title game and ESPN has to air it. That's pretty juicy to me. Uh, So we'll talk about the offensive takeaways, the defensive takeaways, some of the stuff that happened on special teams. We will take some questions at the end. We'll vibe it out. I know it's uh, after 1 a.m. on the East Coast, so uh, we're still wired. We'll be here uh, to answer some questions. But given that we did do a little more of a Q&A earlier on, we'll probably limit those and, and get everyone off on their merry way. But uh, before we get started, here because I am not prepared this evening, uh, our friends again over at Home Field Apparel, I believe I saw them drop. Uh, don't quote me on this. Uh, there's already a bunch of Rose Bowl stuff in their store already. Use that promo code Wolverine23 for 15% off your first order over at homefieldapparel.com. You guys have heard us talk about them all season long. Uh, I packed a couple of home field shirts with me. Uh, I have an entire closet and drawer full of this stuff at my house. Uh, it's it's awesome. Vintage designs, really classic stuff. The most comfortable stuff I own, whether it's sweatshirts, uh, the, the T-shirts, the joggers. They've got bomber jackets now. They've got snapback hats. I mean, whatever you want, uh, you know, because you know you have some time to deck yourself out now and over the next week or so. So head on over to homefieldapparel.com. Use that promo code Wolverine23 and get 15% off your first order over at homefieldapparel.com. Well, Ryan, let's start out on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Tonight or this afternoon was a game where I want to start with the offensive line. We want to start with positives. We want to focus on positives. For what my money's worth, given that the narrative coming into this game was, you know, the big SEC speed, the physicality, you know, the the pass rush. They got two first-round pass rushers. Those guys are going to give them hell. And Michigan's tackles haven't played well. Ryan, I mean, that's one of the best games their offensive line has, has played all year. And I know Zach Sinter wasn't there. They had a time over the last month to get healthy, to get some of those guys back, to get a cohesive five uh, ready for this game. And, I mean, up front, outside of a stretch in the third quarter, I thought those guys completely controlled the line of scrimmage in this contest. One of my biggest concerns coming into today's game was how would we do in a straight drop-back pass and would we be able to keep J.J. clean? And – like you just said, a big credit to the offensive line. It wasn't amazing, but it was a much better job in pass pro than we've seen in the last few games. And, you know, they got they did enough to get it done. The other thing you have to give a lot of credit to is Sharon Moore and some of the different things that he did. I would say he called 90% of a really, really good game as an offensive coordinator. Uh, I thought that he had enough wrinkles and enough little things to keep the safeties from coming too far down that we were throwing early on first downs. And then we started feeding quorum and getting the line going. And some of the schemes I've talked all year about, we need to see some more creative schemes when it comes to running the ball. I, I'm all about running the football, but we can't just line up and do it the same way every time because people will cue in and, and stop you. The amount of times that we had those little pitch outs with pulling guys, that we had guys that were, you know, switching sides of the line of scrimmage. Alabama was scrambling. They were scrambling with some of our pre-snap motions and some of the different things that we do. We challenge you cerebrally, and you have to align and be be in your correct position because if not, we're, we're going to gas you up. And uh, I thought – it's another thing that J.J. is not going to probably get the credit for that he probably deserves. But if you watch J.J. and how he operates that offense, he knows where all 11 are supposed to be pre-snap. He knows where all 11 are supposed to be after he motions and sets. 
and he knows everybody's supposed to be once the ball is snapped. And uh, you saw, I thought, a very efficient team operating on offense against a very good Alabama defense. Uh, but at the end of the day, I feel like we had some guys really make some plays. I was waiting for Roman Wilson to get going. Roman Wilson gets going. Um, I was surprised to see Tyler Morris and some of the speed he showed today and some of the young guys. But, I mean, an all-out effort from everybody involved, and it starts in the trenches. You know, offensive line, I feel like, for the most part, won that battle. Uh, there were some times that the D-line got the better of our Michigan O-line, but for the most part, Michigan's O-line handled the trenches, and that's where the game was going to be won. Speaking of Roman Wilson, we have a 999 super chat here from Big Case Mike, who says, first question, Roman Wilson in a press conference said that he was disappointed with NIL at Michigan, but an article I read today showed that Michigan ranked number two in player compensation. What am I missing? Yeah, um, I mean, I'll use this as a springboard to talk about Roman Wilson and, and the passing game here in a second, but uh, just to kind of clarify, and then I think the, con- the concerns maybe about NIL moving forward are um, – If you follow what's been going on, I mean, there was a pretty prominent NIL uh, stakeholder that was sort of booted out as part of this this sign stealing uh, situation. He was a guy that was extremely, I say, valuable, uh, a valued member of the champion circle, a guy that was doing a lot of the heavy lifting with funding NIL. So that's not there right now. There's still I mean, there's still a lot of things going on behind the scenes there. Michigan's done a really nice job of taking care of those guys who came back. And what you see is, you know, that one more year fund last year, that was the genesis of what we saw in this game on Saturday. Uh, or I'm sorry, on Monday. College football is meant to be played on Saturday. We played it on a Monday afternoon today. Zach Sinter came back. Obviously, he didn't play today. But Trevor Keegan, Blake Corum, Michael Barrett, all of these guys had a hand in what took place in this game on Monday. And that is due to NIL and how they were able to get those guys to come back. So need to continue the momentum there. Um, as far as the passing game goes, this is what was interesting to me. You know, most of the day, uh, JJ McCarthy, 17 for 27, 221 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, uh, average 8.2 yards per attempt. I didn't think it was his best day at the office by any stretch of the imagination. I thought he was missing guys. I thought he overthrew a few guys. I thought that, Michigan didn't do a super great job of get you know he's at his best I think when they roll out and it helps them see the field better it helps some of that improv uh, improvisational stuff all that being said um and you know put stock into this as you may but his QBR for the game was 91.9 which is one of his better performances of the year and I have to think a lot of that has to do with the two drives he led late in this game namely the one that tied the football game. And then obviously Blake Corum, and we'll talk about him shortly, did that work uh, in overtime. But talk about what you saw to JJ McCarthy today in a game where, listen, I know this is a money game. This is a uh, a lot of NFL scouts watching, uh, maybe still have some question marks. At the end of the day, this is a legacy game for JJ McCarthy. And when they needed it the most, he and the Michigan offense delivered. It, it, J.J. wins the national championship as a starting quarterback at Michigan. He might cement himself as one of the best, if not the very best quarterback that's worn the winged helmet. I think Jake Butt said that, so I'm going to piggy, piggyback off of something that he said, but I agree with it. I mean, the leadership qualities, yes, he's a tremendous arm talent. Yes, he's athletic and mobile, and yes, he's got some things that will stand out at a combine, but the things that you can't quantify at a combine, leadership, poise, 
uh, you know, the, the clutch factor that is obviously there for this kid. Um, there's so many things that I feel like you can't quantify on a stat sheet that are great about JJ McCarthy. One of the things I think is corny, but one of the best things you can do is make other people better around you uh, as a teammate. That's always the mark for a great player is do you improve the play of the men around you? And the answer with JJ McCarthy is a resounding yes. Um, I thought that the refs, not going to be that guy, but I, at the game, I thought there were some things that they let go that you have to start calling defensive holding, pass interference, something, because the way that they were mugging our guys down the field, it was ridiculous, you know, and not only that, but some of the, the extra extracurricular stuff that happened. We got called with Bredesen in the first half, unnecessary roughness on a pancake, which is part of football. But we had guys getting tossed out of bounds. JJ on the last drive gets tossed out of bounds. It doesn't end up impacting us. Um, but throughout the game, I thought I saw a lot of guys getting there early. I thought I saw a lot of things that could have been called. JJ's trying to throw the ball into some tight windows. And one thing that I think is really important to note about this kid's resiliency is – Everybody has probably at this point forgotten about the first pass, but the first pass of the game he threw was an interception. Now the guy ends up being out of bounds after review. We come back on the field, all that. There's a lot of quarterbacks that don't come back after that shaky of a start. The very first play you throw it to Alabama. I mean, for him to come back and it's like he played in the game that that never happened. And sure. You could say it never happened because of the review and stuff like that. But I know so many guys that would have been shook up from that situation and JJ just goes out there and keeps slinging it and doing what he's asked to do. Um, it was good to see him healthy. I think that it was very uh, noticeable that he was much more mobile and willing to take some hits today. Uh, but overall, the way he manages the game, the way he plays the game, he is the 2024 version of what Jim Harbaugh was when he played. And uh, it's just funny to, to, to see his development and, uh, you know, just trying to enjoy being spoiled by good quarterback play because we've been waiting for this. Harbaugh's the quarterback whisperer. It wasn't, you know, nothing against any of these guys, but John O'Corn wasn't the guy. Shea Patterson wasn't the guy. There's people in between these guys that I'm probably missing, but J.J. McCarthy is that dude. And I think we all know that. I think the country's starting to come to know that. And uh, I'm excited to see J.J. versus Penix because uh, I think they're the two best doing it in the country right now. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, I think from a, you know, if today was kind of the meat grinder game that Michigan was going to play in the playoff, I do think things are going to be a little more wide open, a little more up-tempo, uh, because I think both of these teams, and we'll dive into Washington this week, but I think that both these teams are going to be able to score and move up and down the field a little bit. But uh, at the same time, uh, we'll get into that stuff later on. I do have three more Super Chats here from Big Case Mike. Mike? We're just going to lead those off in the Q&A section, so be patient with us. You're going to get the first three of that segment here. Uh, I want to keep talking about uh, really just this team in general. I mean, we, we could we could go each area and, and discuss, and we haven't really talked about Blake Corum a ton yet, but I think for me, the overarching thing is that from a pure facing adversity standpoint, and some people will sit there and argue, well, some of their adversity was self-inflicted, well, a lot of the adversity today was self-inflicted. So in terms of that, maybe this was the most emblematic game of Michigan's 2023 season, but this team doesn't flinch. I mean, this is the most unflappable team I think I've maybe seen at in at any level of any sport, um, certainly at Michigan. I mean, they're, I think back to, I was on the field for the Notre Dame game in 2018, the first game of the Shea Patterson era. 
And you could just see guys like that moment was too big for them. Even think back to the last time that these two teams played in that Citrus Bowl in, in 20, yeah, at the end of the 2019 season, you know, they couldn't hang with a team like Alabama for four quarters. And when push came to shove and, and the other team, a team that was either equal or better to them, counterpunched, those eyes got super wide, uh, guys tightened up, and Michigan would end up losing those games. I mean, to me, this game as a whole was, was program-affirming. It is era defining now when you look at these last three years and you know, there's still one more to get right. But in terms of the response, I mean, they, this offense did not have its fastball for almost the entire game, but up against it with what four minutes, 41 seconds left, that light turned on everything that they've worked towards this entire year, really since January, since they got off the plane from the Fiesta bowl. And listen, I mean, this is uh We've seen a lot of success under Jim Harbaugh, but this, I mean, this transcends that. This is, I mean, it's do, do not take for granted or take lightly what you've seen right now, because this, this is a trait that uh, they're just, Chris Jenkins told us the other day, you know, he wanted to, he wanted Michigan to show, he called it shocking effort in this game. And, and that's, I continue to sort of be shocked by it, but at the same time, maybe I shouldn't be, because this has been in their DNA all year long. It's part of their character. It's it's part of the team's character. And I don't want to say it's unfortunate that we haven't had the opportunities to see it, but let's call the season what it was. Everybody called the first three, four games a preseason. You're not playing anybody. We don't know how good this team is. And then we go through October and we go to Michigan State and just smash, you know, the Spartans and a rivalry game. And we have some other Big Ten games come, but it's still people aren't buying drinking the Kool-Aid. Michigan's playing nobody. The scandals are breaking, blah, blah, blah. Then we get into November and we have to go to Penn State. And everybody's talking about this is the buzzsaw. This is where, you know, Michigan will find out their, where their cracks are at. And Michigan decides we're going to only run the football and win in Happy Valley. And then we get Ohio State and Ryan Day and Marvin Harrison and Marvelous Marvin. And we handle them. And I just feel like this team keeps having obstacles put in front of it. And this team doesn't go over or around obstacles. This is a we go through it type of thing. And I'm, I'm all here for it. You know, I love watching it. The, the, the mindset of these guys. I mean, I just think about the emotional roller coaster as a former player that I would have been on and how hard it would have been to be above JJ throws pick on the first play. Air comes out of the stadium. Now we get the ball back, but that is that is what happened. Then we get a three and out crazy defensive series where we get two sacks, I think, on the first series. Samaj Morgan tries to go field a punt that if he catches it, he probably goes for six, muffs it, and we give it to Bama. And then they come down and score on an inside zone play. We've never given up a score on an inside zone all year. This pattern continues throughout the game. Yes, we have some positives for Michigan, but – for the most part, I mean, even at the end of the game, we finally get in the fourth quarter. We get Jalen Milrow to do a little too much and drop a football, and we don't do anything with that possession. We end up giving it back to them, and it, it, they still come out, play another great you know, uh, series of defense, and we get the ball back to our offense, and that's when things you know, really started to turn around. And, I mean, how much can you say about a team that refuses – to give up and refuses to, to allow themselves to, to accept defeat. They do not accept defeat. They are going to march forward towards victory until there's zeros on the clock. And even when there's zeros, they're still going to go get a win. So uh, just the respect, the admiration, 
I'm jealous. I wish I was on this team. I wish I could get NIL money, but I wish I was on this team. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And as a fan now completely removed from, from the program, but as a fan, uh, just super proud of where Harbaugh has been able to get this. This had to be what he imagined when he signed up and we're there and we're living it. We're experiencing it. And he seems like he's just experiencing the most high level of fulfillment that he can. And I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the kids and I'm happy for Harbaugh. Yeah. I mean, certainly a lot of people didn't expect that to take nine years, but it's year nine and we're here. Like that's, you just throw it all out because you're here now you're in that moment. And I know there's a lot of discussion about what that future could be. And, and we don't know yet. I mean, all we know is that in a couple of days, a lot of us are getting back on a flight and going to Houston. And that was, that was the objective. The second that those guys showed back up for winter conditioning, uh, whatever happens after that, we'll see. But right now you take the bird in hand and you're, you're going to play for a national title. You're going to play a team that, you're going to see a lot now moving forward, given that Washington is joining the Big Ten, and we'll get to Washington. But I want to flip over to the defensive side of the ball. The discussion coming into this game was Jalen Milrow's a big play waiting to happen. Uh, he's he's a firecracker. You know he's a you know no play is ever dead because of how mobile he is. You know, hearkening back to to preparing for mobile guys because you guys saw some of them uh, when you were on that Michigan defense. You know what is. What's the key as a defensive lineman? Because that's really today. I, I mean, I, I thought it was going to take discipline. You had to be, I mean, locked in, focused. I mean, be ready to win at the line of scrimmage. I mean, that was one of their best group defensive line efforts of the year. But when you prepare for a guy like Jalen Milrow, what are the keys to that? And how do you feel like they executed that today? The biggest thing is making sure you're aware of where he is in the pocket and making sure you're maintaining your rush lane. It's so hard to come off the line of scrimmage as a defensive lineman or a pass rusher and throttle down because you have to be aware where the quarterback is. A pass rush is balls to the wall as hard as you can go and try to get around, you know, with Alabama, they got guys that are probably going to play on Sundays all over that offensive line. And so to get past them in the first place is incredibly difficult. Then you've got to catch a deer that walks on two legs and can happen to throw a football. And that's what Jalen Milrow is. When I'm watching Jalen from the sideline, when I watch Milrow, what I see is Terrell Pryor. I see Terrell Pryor from Ohio State. That's what we played against. We played against Ohio State back when they had, you know, uh, JT Barrett, but with the mobility of Terrell Pryor. That's the offense that we just played against, in my opinion. And, you know, it was almost a storybook in that sense that we had the opportunity to play against another offense that was built just like that one. And he's a hell of a player. Don't get me wrong, but it's really hard to be a good quarterback when you're on your back. And we had how many sacks? Six, seven. I mean, I think we had four in the first half, you know, and it wasn't just one guy. I think Braden had two. Josiah Stewart got in on it. Um, both linebackers, I believe, had sacks. And something you got to do, give a lot of credit to is Jesse Minter. I mean, Jesse Minter came out, I think, with an amazing game plan. One of the things you have to do if you're going to be rushing a Jalen Milrow is give him different looks. You cannot rush four straight rushes over and over and over again, or you will get killed. And there was plenty of twists, plenty of waves, plenty of stunts. We never ran, I felt like, the same type of rush and to be in his head and messing with him. Uh, I mean, obviously they, they throw a ball past the first down markers. I don't think they ever got one out. So um, 
to put Jalen Milrow in a box that we put him in. That's Jesse Minter. That's the defensive line. That's the front seven. And I mean, that's the coverage. I think the coverage played really well, but to be honest, the pressure and the consistent pressure that we were getting made his life miserable. And he made still made some plays, but he's that good. He's going to make some plays overall that there, there's situations and in, in teams that would have struggled way more with this type of quarterback, but credit to Jesse Minner credit to all the guys on the defense for knowing their opponent and executing a game plan. Yeah, this was really was a Jesse Minner masterclass, uh, Alabama, 288 yards of total offense. That's their lowest total of the year. They had gone over 300 in every single game they played this year. So uh, shout out to his game plan in that regard. Uh, Jalen Milrow, 16 for 23, 116 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, five yards per attempt. Really, you know, for as much talk about, uh, you know, on throws of more than 20 or more air yards this year, Milrow had 16 touchdowns and one interception. They had, what, one of those? It was a deep shot to Isaiah Bond, a 29-yarder. Other than that, I mean, he had he only had four catches for 47 yards. Jermaine Burton, four catches for 21 yards. They don't use their tight ends or their backs a ton in the passing game. Um, you know, you look at just, I mean, they, the Michigan defensive line, you know, when you look at the, the guys that Alabama had, I mean, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", you know, across their entire offensive line, and Michigan was was quicker to the ball. They were they were faster. They were beating those guys off the snap. Uh, I think, depending on which site you go to, it says some people say they had seven sacks. Some say that they had six. I'd love to see what the quarterback pressure numbers look like uh, coming out of this game. But yeah, I mean that was that was as good. You know, all the talk. Uh, I keep using that term, all the talk, because there was a lot of talk out of the South, right? Michigan can't hang with SEC speed, SEC athleticism, the physicality. Michigan looked quicker on both sides of the ball in this game, but especially on defense. Um, that's a testament to the work that they put in with Ben Herbert. It's a testament to knowing where they're supposed to be. Uh, the game plan, I thought, was was tremendous. Uh, you know, they got run on a little bit. That's when Alabama started to climb back in this game. You know, I think they did run for – I lost the box score here, but it was like 229 sack-adjusted rush yards. Uh, we know the QB scramble game is a big part of what they like to do, but, you know, they they were disciplined. And and they got, they got popped for a few here and there, but those guys stayed locked in. You know, th- this was an Alabama team that doesn't quite have the – the level of offensive skill at running back at wide receiver that we've seen a lot of those vintage Bama teams have, but you still got to lock in because it is, you know, it's a different conference, different style of football, different breed of athlete. And uh, I thought Michigan was absolutely outstanding in that regard. Uh, any other takeaways from defense? I, I just, I'm, I'm curious as to what, maybe it was the pressure, but what stopped them from throwing the ball? Uh, in the air because I was waiting to see Will Johnson get tested. I was waiting to see uh, Josh Wallace on the other side get tested and neither of them did. And they, they, I mean, they got tested on some screens, some bubbles, but I was waiting to see the ball go into the air and the ball never went into the air. And uh, to me, that just said that Bama is scared of Michigan's defense. That's one thing that I feel like didn't get enough credit and still hasn't gotten enough credit how good Michigan's defense is. Michigan's defense is the best defense in the country. I, I, I don't know who can make an argument and why they would make an argument that Michigan's defense isn't the best. But, you know, when Bama struggled with Auburn, I started going like this because Auburn's defense is not Michigan's defense. And, you know, 
a guy's name we're not mentioning, but you know he had a good game, Mike Sainer still, did not impact the game and is probably one of the most impactful players on defense we've had in a very long time at the University of Michigan. But Mikey Sainer still didn't get tested because the defensive line was in his lap, you know, and I feel like that's one thing that we didn't get enough credit for and they may have been overlooking, which, you know, boo-hoo for them, but we are the most elite defense in the country right now. And guess what? Defense wins championships. I think Jalen Milrow was confused. I think their offensive coordinator was confused. All you need to do is look at that last play. That last play, you had a fake injury. So you had a, a timeout. It was fake. I saw the coach go over to him. It was fake. I'll put my life on it. Then we call timeout. Then Saban calls timeout because he didn't use a timeout because he faked an injury. And their best play call is quarterback plunge up the middle. That's their best call. They don't sprint out. They don't give them a throw option. They just run motion and they run Jalen up the middle. To me, that is, guys, we don't know what the fuck to do because these guys are stopping us no matter what we do. So to me, as much as I love Michigan winning at the end of the game and thinking it's Michigan's victory, to me, what I saw was a white flag being made. Bama had no idea what to do when they got within the five-yard line. When it got to first and goal, I went, yes, because we don't give up first and goals. Other teams do. So um, the same holds true. And the way I see it, Washington, I know we're going to get to that. Washington, as long as we keep them in front of us, I'm not scared of Washington in the least. Let's get them down to our 10-yard line and make them kick a field goal every time because that's all they're going to do is try and hit you with the bombs. But Michigan and our red zone and our first and goal defense – on top of a lot of other things, best in the country, and it showed out huge today and won us again. Well, let's talk about that matchup then. Uh, it will be Michigan versus Washington in the national title game in Houston. Uh, both teams taking a very different route to go there. Again, full disclosure, both Ryan and myself did not see most of the Sugar Bowl, given that we were work- working our way back from the Rose Bowl, so we'll go back and, and watch that, but you know, Ryan, how much of Washington have you watched this year? Obviously, we've it feels like we've been watching Michael Penix play football since uh, I don't know, like 2015. He's just been in college forever. He's on the the Kansas Perry Ellis plan over there. But uh, talk about what you see in Michael Penix Jr. and you know what what the challenges that this offense or that this Michigan team could face with Washington. I'll do my very best to not uh, do any bulletin board material, but I've watched a good amount of Washington and they're a good team, but they have cracks in my opinion. Um, I don't think their offensive line is anything spectacular. I think the same is true of their defensive line and you need to be a complete team to win a national championship. You need to be a complete team to beat Michigan at least this year. And uh, there are definitely some guys on that team that can make plays Penix being one of them, but I also think that they, the places and areas where they lack is where Michigan can take big time advantage. And I'm interested to see if we line up with, you know, six O linemen, two tight ends, and just run it into your face, what's Washington going to do? And I don't know the answer to that question, but I bet you we're going to find out because I don't know that they're ready for the smash mouth style of football that Michigan play and Alabama plays. That was a traditional old school style of football right there that we just watched today. And Washington is the new, you know, Washington is the new, the air it out, the get guys in space and all that stuff. 
But I want to know, can they protect Michael Penix and make him feel comfortable and keep him in time? Because if he's in rhythm, he's going to be dangerous. And then the other thing is, can Michael Penix find a way to beat Michigan's defense? Because Michigan's defense is not Oregon's defense. It's not USC's defense. You know, there's still two different conferences, Pac-12 and Big Ten. Big Ten plays defense. We might not be able to play offense. Iowa can't score more than three points. But we can play defense. And uh, I'm interested to see what Penix does because I've seen his head in a uh, luggage cart cubby because he can't watch field goals. And then you watch J.J. McCarthy, who's standing there on fourth and goal, getting yelled at because he's too far down on the box with his helmet off like he's playing defense. You know, so I think they're a very good team, but I think they lack the completeness that Michigan has. And if I know the Michigan staff as I feel like I know the staff, they know what I know, and they will be attacking those weaknesses. So uh, I don't know what you can do, Washington, to get better on an inside run in the next seven days, but you better get to working on it. All right, we will get into uh, – the queue is wide open for questions, uh, so get those in. I want to do a quick ad read here uh, for our friends over at Lewis Jewelers. Uh, not a quick ad read. We'll give our friends at Lewis the time the place they deserve here on a it's now January 2nd here for our friends on the East coast. But uh, Lewis jewelers has been serving the Ann Arbor and Detroit region since 1921. Lewis jewelers reputation and continued success stems from the belief that successful jewelry store is bet on integrity, uh, quality customer service and quality products. Lewis jewelers, of course, are a proud partner of Michigan athletics and also us here at the Wolverine to ensure that every client that walks through their doors or peruses the virtual store is taken care of. They have a non-commissioned trusted advisor that's always ready to make professional experience, advice, and expertise. No pressure, no commission. So head on over to their location at 300 South Maple Road in Ann Arbor or visit them online at lewisjewelers.com. Okay, uh, we are into our question segment here now. Uh, and I got to be honest, um, Big case, Mike, who sent in $25 worth of super chats. I will give you a shout out given that you have uh, generously donated your hard earned dollar to the cause here. But, you know, a lot of it is I kind of think he might be trolling. And if he's not, I apologize. But it's all about Michigan's issues in the transfer portal with NIL. We don't have time for that tonight. I'm sorry. We don't. Uh, it's, it's late. It's approaching 2 a.m. for you guys on the East Coast. I'm not going to waste your time on that. So big case, Mike, if you have a question about the game, I'd be happy to push you to the front of the line for free, but we're not, we're just not doing that conversation tonight. That's an executive decision on my part. So um, let's start with this one from Blake name, blank name, who says, why was the special team such a disaster tonight? Well, we've been calling the punt return issues all year. I mean, we've just said over and over now, we haven't had a muffed like we've had a muffed, but we've been saying that we need someone to step up and take control of punt returning. And I was sitting next to Steve Breston and I asked him and he said, no, I'm not going to go out there. But um, the, the Jake Thaw, Samaj Morgan combo, you know, they just, they, they, they got to execute and do your job. And, I think Samaj Morgan, again, that's a weird kick. I don't know what it looked like on the broadcast, but you could tell that the punter missed it. You could tell that the coverage was going to the left hash and the ball was spitting to the right. And if you're Samaj Morgan and you take a look, there's no one in front of you. It's a tough catch to make, but if you make that catch, you're coming the other way and you're probably getting six. I can't fault a kid for making trying to make that play. Um, it is what it is. You're either We used to call it asshole or hero. One of the two. And unfortunately, he was an asshole in that situation. 
It is what it is. Jake Thaw, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Uh, I'm not here to criticize a kid. Everybody knows, and I played D-line. They did not let me return punts. They didn't even let me practice it. But everybody knows that when you are a punt returner in that type of situation, you put your heels on a particular line, the seven, the eight, the nine. And if you have to step backwards, then it's time to trick the defense into thinking you're going to catch a ball so this one rolls into the end zone. I know that. Many other people know that. Apparently, Jake Thaw forgot and almost cost us this freaking game. And we can't have those mistakes. I mean, an extra point. We blew an extra point, point after touchdown attempt. That's as routine as it gets in special teams. And we blew that. You know, if we have that extra point. We want to go to overtime. I know my, my heart valves are a little bit less stressed. But, uh, you know, just more credit to this team for overcoming those issues. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting. It's not just us. Bama had some issues, too. Bama couldn't get a CQ exchange done. They, they, the amount of times Jalen Milrow almost missed the football or did miss the football going between his legs, you think Bama doesn't practice center quarterback exchange every day? Things happen, you know, and it's all about how you respond. And credit to this team, man. Uh, this team, I mean, think about that. Things could have gotten really crazy and ugly with that Jake Thaw drop there at the end and us being on the one and them using their timeouts. This team went out there, handled their business, got us to overtime and then went and won the game. So, yes, special teams was an absolute debacle, but we were able to uh, uh, account for those mistakes and get back into a position to win a football game. And not enough can be said about – if you would have told me the mistakes that were made in this game, regardless of the touchdowns or everything else, just the mistakes, list of mistakes, and say guess the final score, Michigan's not within 10. And yet here we are, winners of the Rose Bowl. Well, in terms of the asshole conversation, I think we know who of the two of us is what here. And it's not, I'm not the hero. So um, fill the blanks there. Uh, we have full question. Uh, Q is wide open for questions here. Uh, if not, we will probably bring this one up here from Kyle Rapley. He says, FYI, Dylan Johnson, uh, Washington's running back, also got injured on Washington's last drive tonight. That's going to be a huge deal for them if he's. It looked like he was carted off the field at the end of the game. Again, I only saw the end of the game, but first of all, Kalen DeBoer, what are you doing? And, and second of all, that's that's a huge swing in Michigan's favor in this game. I think when you look at ESPN's SP Plus, they are I think around a thirteen and a half point favorite in this game, and that's without adjusting for injuries or whatever. So that could be a huge thing that you know if Washington has to just drop back and throw the entire night, which we know they're capable of doing with Michael Penix. That's going to be, that's advantage Michigan. I'm sorry. It's, it's advantage Michigan. And I'm telling you, I already know I'm calling it right now. Mikey Sanders still is going to have himself a day against Washington. Mikey Sanders still will Johnson. These guys didn't get too many opportunities in this game. Their number will be called. Their number will be called and they will answer the bell. I just, I know it in my bones that Mikey Sanders still is going to be in Michael Penix's head from right now until after that game and the confetti falls down and it's Mason Blue and we win a national championship. Uh, someone asked if I said Washington is, is favored over Michigan. If I misspoke, I'm sorry. Uh, it is Michigan that's favored. Uh, I think five and a half on FanDuel with the over-under around 55 and a half. So Vegas expecting points, which is interesting here. Um, 
Let's go to your average fan who says, what's the magic number for Michigan to score to win? I think if Michigan gets to 31, maybe even 28, I think I feel pretty good about that. And I think they will for what it's worth. I agree. 28. 28 was what was going to win this game. Um, I didn't get a chance to say it on the podcast, but I told everybody who would listen, including Bama fans here in Santa Monica, that if Bama can't score more than 20, we're going to win. That's just what it is. Because JJ will get our offense to score more than 20. I don't know if their offense is capable of scoring more than 20. So when we hit 20, I was like, "Eh, maybe I was wrong but they didn't score more than 20. They scored exactly 20. So um, I think if we can score 30, it's game over. Um, I think it's going to come down to the big plays and making them go the long way. Telling you guys in advance, all of our listeners, all of our fans, do not get caught up in going explosive big plays with Washington. That will not be what we do. We will keep them in front of us. Penix is going to go. 40 for 50 on slants and in routes and out routes. And we're going to be totally fine because you don't get points for first downs and we are going to score touchdowns. They're going to score field goals and we're going to let them score field goals. And I got no issues with it. So uh, I'm interested to see how this game pans out, but you have to slow us down and our run game down. And then you got to find a way to get into the end zone. And I think Jesse Minter knows that. And Jesse Minter is going to keep guys with, the goal line in the back of their heads. Keep them from crossing this line. Who cares about the rest of it? And that would be my strategy going in. I've got a question here for $1.99 from Travis Foster, who says, could this Michigan team beat Georgia? Yes, I think they could. Um, I'm not a transitive property guy, but given that Alabama beat Georgia, Georgia all year just didn't have that same gear. I was actually talking to a member of the the Georgia media contingent who was here for the game, and, and he agreed Georgia just didn't have that same gear, which is weird to say, given that they beat Florida State by 60 points. But, yes, I do think Michigan could beat Georgia, and Georgia can say what it wants about what its fate was this season. But uh, Michigan's playing next Monday, and Georgia played three days ago. So, oh, well. And one thing I think that – because, again, I've been around a lot of Bama people, and I've been keeping my mouth shut here. But uh, they think that they beat Georgia this year in the SEC championship game, which they had the Gs on their helmet, don't get me wrong, but McConkey was down. Uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, but the tight end, that is Travis Kelsey, number two, was down. Uh, their best players were not able to play. And not only that, but I watched that game. They kept trying to play and they were actually hurting their team because they kept trying to go into the game. Their backups have to be better than them at 50%. It's Georgia. They have to be better than them at 50%. Bowers. Yeah. So um, I, I think Alabama had a little bit of false confidence. Georgia was the best team in the SEC. They just weren't healthy at the end of the year. Yes. I think this team could beat Georgia, but I honestly think it's Michigan, Georgia, everybody else. And, uh, you know, Michigan stayed healthy. Georgia didn't. That's how it goes sometimes. Well, they don't have to beat Georgia. They have to beat Washington. And that's, that's it. It's the only game that matters. It's the only game that they've really circled on their schedule. They expected to be in Houston. They will be in Houston. We will be in Houston. Uh, last question of the night, Ryan, you got one more of these post game shows in you. I got one more of these post game shows and uh, I can't wait because uh, maybe I need to go to bed because it's been a very long day, but uh, 
I, didn't matter who won the game versus Texas Washington. Michigan gets Alabama, and everything in my body says we are winning a national championship. So, um, work to be done, yes. Preparation to be done, yes. Execution to be done, yes. All those things need to happen, but. This is going to be, I mean, Vegas is telling you right now, this is going to be our national championship to win. And as much as I thought this team was capable of getting to a national championship, the odds of being the one seed, the favored in, in a season where we've had all sorts of different shit from all sorts of angles coming at us, trying to tear this program down. Everyone needs to see us take our throne and bow and take the knee, bend the knee to Michigan because we are the best this year. And I can't wait to see it on a national stage in six and a half days. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, Anthony Broom, Ryan Van Bergen, another one in the books here uh, from this time from Pasadena. Again, for our YouTube viewers, you can use promo code UM1 over at thewolverine.com to get two months of premium access for $1. Of course, be sure to like and subscribe. Uh, that helps boost the channel, helps boost a lot of things for us. So I appreciate you guys. It's almost 2 o'clock for you guys on the East Coast. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for hanging with us. Thanks for hanging with me twice this evening. Uh Ryan, we'll do it again next week. Uh, Michigan 27, Alabama 20 in the Rose Bowl. Michigan is heading to the national championship game. Have a great night, everyone.